Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Välkommen till ukens podcast och... Ukens vintips idag vill handla om vin, men vi har på besök en vinpersonlighet. Han har tagit en lång turen från Österrike. Han är er en av de alla alla mest kända i vinvärlden idag och hans familj har hållit på med vin i 266 år. Och det är er väl ingen hemlighet att vi har besök av Maximilian Riedel. Welcome Maximilian. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I have a short briefly instruction in Norwegian but uh, but we speak English. So you don't need to speak Norwegian. Not yet. Yeah. I try. <laughs> but you have been in Norway so many times. Yes. Your family have been here many times, especially yes. your father for a while. So and we're going to talk about the traveling. We're going to talk about glasses of course. Uh, but first of all, uh, we are happy to see you here in Norway again after a long time of mm. pandemia. Yeah. Um and um and I'm not going to discuss so much pandemia. Uh, because we are now moving ahead but um uh, of course uh, glass uh, is uh, interest for many wine lovers and have have been raising a lot of interest from the i mean the uh, from the beginning and even if your family have a very long uh, story of wines it started in 1958 with glasses and could you tell the our readers a little bit about yourself what the company is for new listeners who don't know what Riedel is yeah. and then have a short briefly introduction from the 58 and how after your view how have glasses been been so important for people yeah so everything started in 1756 when uh, my family started the first workshop in those days the Riedels produced mainly chandelier jewelry and beautiful objects so it was my grandfather, Professor Klaus Riedel, the first during the Bauhaus to develop a wine glass, the way how we appreciate and use it nowadays. So he was the stepping stone for every wine lover because in those days, wine glasses were not as important. He put importance to the glass. He was the first Riedel to collect wine, to learn about wine, to travel the wine world. And this was in the early 1950s. And it was my father, George Riedel, who took it to the next level. He was the man who thought about grape variety. He was the man who brought forward the knowledge about grape varietal specificness. And for me, he was obviously in our history of 11 generations, the most important person because he introduced the modern wine instrument, the wine glass to the world. And uh, I'm the one who takes it to the next level. And uh, obviously, the pandemic was also for us as a company, a very difficult time but we were not falling asleep we were pushing i was pushing forward we used modern tools such as social media to make the young world the wine the young wine world aware of our product mm. the importance of our product and the goal must be whoever drinks wine no matter where no matter the occasion to drink it from the proper wine glass mm. But uh, the interest of wine you see today compared to, to the beginning, that means the production of glasses have to be small in the beginning. So the interest for glasses have been some resistance from why should we use money on it. Uh, and one of the, my, my um, when I talk about glasses and when we are, um, is that it, it have some time in history, and I don't know, but you probably know, Maximilian, uh, it's a period around, 2099 in Europe, 2095, 2000, then it changed a lot. Uh, it was uh, easier to get glasses, uh, the wine clubs and coming up, and it was a discussion. It was not only that, uh, are you drinking Bordeaux? It's, uh, but it was, it was more popular with glasses. At, as you see today, it is an explosion of, of glasses. It, it's, a, it's a tool like, uh, who is important for everyone. But uh, I would like to, to hear your view of 
how did it happen, the steps to be so popular? And yeah. why do you think it was so popular? Well, I think the answer is real, good, mm. because we were the first ones to create the modern-looking wine glass. We were the ones working with the industry. And nowadays, we are the punching bag of the industry because we are the ones introducing it, being most successful with it. And I think that other people, companies are looking in our direction. The traditional competitors that we used to deal with up until 2000, most of them vanished. They're no longer there. Some of the finest crystal producers from France, they're no longer there. From the United States, there's only one company left producing fine glassware in America. There used to be so many. Uh, it's because they, they didn't realize the Zeitgeist. If you don't mm. produce a glass for wine and you don't drink wine, you don't enjoy wine, you don't know wine, then you're doing something wrong. And um, I believe that there is such a trend because in general, there is more wine consumption, there's more wine production. Even, I believe, some areas of Norway are planting vines nowadays. And Norway is not the only place where maybe 20 years ago people would have shook their head and would have said it's impossible to, to grow wine. But there are people who, who drive the industry and uh, there are some very traditional wine companies that are still successful. Sadly, some of them are no longer on, on the, our radar just because maybe the next generation was not interested in the business. And wine is very food friendly. So I think mm. that the boom that we have seen and experienced with food and mm. trends that have been set farm to table and all these kind of new words that, that were introduced in the last 20 years, I think that wine benefited from this. And when wine benefits from something real, and the wine glass industry benefits as well. Mm. But if we are still going a little bit back and see when you started in the uh, uh, in the in the family company, you know, you grown up with it, and then you started uh, your big um, success in the states, uh, and then you're coming back. Um, could you tell me a little bit of numbers uh, of how big was the production in 1980 in Riedel compared to today? Uh, and maybe where are you placed by numbers? Because we are financial newspaper. So, sure, okay. sure, sure, how, how, sure. Um, when you started to today, how big have the company been? Or? Well, I, I think when you go back to the 1980s, the 90s, and the early 2000s, Riedel was only producing in its own factories. And most of the product, I would say 99% was handmade. We operated then two factories in Austria. And um, my father was smart enough to start it to produce on machines. But the machines, the product was sourced, such as the original Vinom collection. And uh, I still have a glass where we were very proud about it, that we sold one million glasses. Vinom was introduced in 1986, and I think we reached a one million sold glass 10, 15 years later. So it took quite a while. In 2004, my family invested in machine production. We operate now our own factories in Germany and the annual output is 60 million glasses a year. So you see that in the last 20 years, we grew from maybe 500,000 glasses to 60 million glasses annually. So I would say that we were quite, uh, quite behind it. We were quite yeah. successful in communicating it. And it's just a proof of the wine boom that we're enjoying all together right now. Yeah. No, this is just the numbers. Is um, the numbers making, for sure making sense? You know, absolutely, of the interest absolutely. Of it. Um, but also, we have nowadays tools to communicate in a much bigger volume. Mm. You know, we used to advertise in print media. We do very little of that nowadays because all our focus goes online, mm. and we're able to reach not only more people but also different age categories, people who are maybe movers and shakers in the industry. And we don't let it only allow people who are maybe wine critics. We are talking to wine lovers, hmm. which is much more fun. Yeah, no, that's true. But uh, when you are talking about um, the, the, the social media scene, um, I have to say to the, the to the, our listeners that um, if you're, you're finding uh, Maximilian Riedel quite easy on Instagram and even at TikTok, so probably we are the oldest one on TikTok for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but uh, that has been a good interest to follow. And I, 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 um, uh, it's, um, it's a nice uh, account. 
It's full of good wines, uh, good reviews. Um, and on the other side, it's always decanters. It's always mm. uh, uh, glasses in different shapes, but it's educational. So you have, and this is uh, what I, of my point of view, I've checked a little bit out the latest days. There are not so many uh, company owners who are so personal in the social media as you. Could you tell me a little bit about what what is the background and when did it start it? Well, it all started with a very small liquor store, a wine store in New Jersey. I used to live then in New Jersey. I ran my operation and I was introduced to the son of a very dedicated father who opened this wine store. And this gentleman I'm referring to is a very iconic person in on social media. Gary Vanderchuk and Gary and I, we became friends because he was selling next to wine my glasses. And that's how Riedel started to be proper introduced to the world of wine through liquor stores all over the world. Yeah. It was the wine retailer who communicated Riedel next to the sommeliers in a restaurant. It was the wine retailer. And, um, and Gary very early told me, man, you, do you know about Twitter? Do you know about Facebook? Instagram didn't exist. And I said, not really. And he said, wow, you got to go there and promote your brand. So originally I went there to check out maybe some girls, you know, <laughs> that's what we used to do on social media. Yeah. Um, and it was very much younger then, okay. good, 20 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, and then soon I realized I, I could reach an audience, maybe yeah. an audience that I, there's no chance for me to reach it any other way. Hmm. It's the young people in the food and wine industry. And that's how it all started. So that was in the early 2000s already. And, uh, and it's very interesting to see the two paths that we're walking because Riedel has an official Instagram account. And then there's my personal Instagram account. And the official one obviously have a professional team, costs me a lot of money to run it. And my personal one, I do everything myself. And it's such a much more successful path that I'm walking. And I'm not using this power in any odd way because I'm using it just to show my passion for wine. I'm the only wine glass producer in the world that also collects wine and that drinks wine daily. And that makes the big difference between Riedel and all the other glass companies out there. Hmm. It's I, I sell and promote what I love to do most. And I'm giving people, different kinds of audiences, a chance to, to just see what other wine lovers like myself we're doing with wine how far can you take the game of wine so it's not so much about promoting my brand it's just actually showing my passion for wine and of course i'm drinking always from the proper glass which is the real glass okay. and of course my angle is a little bit different because i'm not judging wine i'm not rating wine i just go into my own cellar i'm picking a nice bottle of wine and i like to talk about it mm. how to open it how to enjoy it and i think that's what a lot of people like about my channel which mm. is so different than many others yeah no because, because um, um i'm of course as many many thousands of people following uh, uh, and you have a informa information way of talking and uh, behind the scenes uh, sometimes uh, but um, um you're a very good um, influencer, if you say. But uh, back to the dating. Uh, did you find your wife in the, <laughs> in the Instagram account or Twitter? Well, I tell you, um, dating then on, on social media was different than dating now. There are professional okay. platforms nowadays, yeah. you know, but I have not been on them because I didn't have to. So, of course, there were certain partnerships that started, but they yeah. all failed. Yeah. It's all it's all social media, you yeah. know. <laughs> so no, Rosanna and I we met through friends yeah. the original way, and I believe that's also the roots for our long-lasting relationship. Yeah, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. But um, uh, in in a normal year, you have o over two hundred years, and I will now go back a little bit further to build a brand because our listeners they are interested in finance, how you build companies and so on and before we go to the the wine we have uh, selected today um how important uh, are the traveling and the, the the showing of the product uh today compare when you have ha have the experience with the pandemia um what would you do in the future well I don't want to say I cloned myself, but we have a lot of people working for our company that are just like myself. They have the same mindset. They're traveling the world. 
Each one of them, they're called RTMs, real team members. Each one of them has a territory which includes certain countries and they take full responsibility. They're managing it in many ways. We have many different ways of distribution, working with distributors, working directly with the market. And they also have the job number one is to conduct real glass seminars, tastings, where you smell the same or taste the same wine. You compare the wine from one shaped glass to the other to show what the shape of a glass can do. And this has been the most successful approach. Now, through times where we were not allowed to travel, we realized there are modern tools to do as effective talking one-on-one -on -one with our partners, with our customers. And uh, for sure, it's a more greener way to do so because you're not getting in a car, driving to the airport, you're not flying to meet with customers. So we were able to further grow our business doing those downtimes in terms of travel. But it's a different approach, and I think it's not long-lasting. Connections with people, getting to know people, sharing a glass of wine with people face-to-face -face is irreplaceable, and that's why I'm going back to it. So I'm back on track. I'm traveling once again over 200 days a year. This year, still alone, I'm going from Norway to Denmark. I'm going from Denmark to Japan. I'm going from Japan to Korea still this year. And I'm very excited to meet and greet the people and sharing good wine because wine unites us and we should never forget about that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what I see from the traveling and see your account in, 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 um, in many ways is, is that you, are, you like to meet people. I like to meet people, but I'm a very shy person because in my downtime, and now I have a family, but in the old days, I took myself to the mountains or on a surfboard and just to spend the time with myself because I'm so exposed. Hmm. If it's customers, nowadays I'm speaking in front of audiences of two, three hundred people. That takes a lot of energy and mm. you need to recharge. Yeah. So I like to distance myself in my downtime and I don't want to mingle with too many people. I like to mingle with my small herd, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with my wife and my two kids. And that's a great time where I re-energize myself. And uh, which kind of wine do you usually have? I know that you have a big collection of wine and... Uh, um, And uh, of course, when you have worked with the wine industry for so long, you have connection and allocation who's good. But um, are there always a new bottle or do you have a um, special, uh, like I have for Krug, I love Krug. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any favorites in the wine? Uh, Everybody has favorites, of course. Yeah. Mm. Everybody has a favorite region. Mm. Everybody uh, has a favorite food and wine match. And maybe everybody has a person with whom you like to share most of your wines. Mm. And I have this person because this person made me, created me, mm. Maximilian Riedel, the way mm. I sit in front of you. And this would be my father mm. because I don't know anybody who knows more about wine than him. Maybe Robert Parker, but mm. we have very little access to this person. But otherwise, I look up to him. And when I open a bottle of wine from his cellar, from my cellar, or a bottle that I just received, and we actually like to drink old wines, uh, or a bottle that I bought at auction, or it was gifted to me, then he would be the go-to person. So I have my favorite person to drink wine with. Do I have a favorite region? Yes, I do. And I, I and it should not sound too obscene. If you follow me, you know that I drink a lot of wine from Bordeaux. Mm. And as the French would say, it's the cœur, it's the heart. And yeah. you could fight with me, is it Burgundy, is it Bordeaux? For me, it's Bordeaux. Hmm. I have most of my friends in Bordeaux, people who created me, helped me build my wine knowledge. I worked in the vineyards in Bordeaux. But is Bordeaux the last wine I would go to? Maybe it would be like yourself, Champagne. And over the last two uh, Chef de Cave, I've built this relationship to Dom Perignon. And maybe some listeners would say, oh, it's too commercial. No, it's not. Good. Maybe it's a, the best kept secret in the world. Everybody knows they make more than 8 million bottles of champagne annually. But it's still a damn good champagne. And it's, 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 it's the myth around it. And I love it. So you would say Krug. I would say Dom Perignon. Okay. This is the same owners. 
So yeah. be it. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. So, but um, uh, the interest of wine, of course, is is nice. But what do you do when when you are off work? But do you have other interests? We know and uh, of the past that you you like um, like cars. Well, I would say lately my interest is my health. I'm at the age of forty five which is still very young, don't get me wrong. But my wife and myself, we are looking after each other. And um, we know that life can be very short. So I I would say lately I spend my off time out and about. I like to hike. Mm. I like to walk for hours and hours. I'm counting my steps. Yeah. And it's a very bad, unhealthy day if I don't make my, not 10,000 steps, but my 15,000 steps. So that's what I like to do. And yes, of course, we all have passions. I have a Mm. passion for cars. I have a passion for watches, something Mm. I don't like to share too much. Um, I have a passion, believe it or not, also off work to travel Mm. uh, and to, to find new and explore new areas I have not been to. And that's not always wine related. So there's many things that are I, are still to be accomplished in my life yeah. outside the wine world. Why I ask the question is that what interests you have is all connected to design. So oh, all of so it. So yes. all of it is connected to design. And I was I have been visiting uh, the factory of Riedel sometimes. And, and in the office in, uh, some years ago, you have two pictures I remember. One of... Uh, the boxer, the, uh, and one of a gorilla. And there's another one which maybe you have not seen, which yeah. is La Concorde. Ah, Concorde, yeah. Concorde. Concorde. So you have around you the sign, and that's also... And nature, yeah. yeah. Um, the, how, how, why do you take so care of the design um, interests and you like design? Yeah. Is that um, a very important um, tool to understand why design is, you know, you probably do mistakes to making glass, to the shape, you know, how it become. And then you see, ah, this could be a long-lasting design. Is that something who takes a very long time to learn? So the, the glass we're going to drink of today yeah. is, a, is a certain shape. Uh, yeah. It looks new. Uh, yeah. It looks much uh, others than, not others, but, but it's, it's larger, it's, it's bigger. But I always see that it's a personal touch for the, for the design, and you know, it's um, it's not only the shape of it, but please tell us a little bit of about how you feel about design compared to to use the glass. Sure. So first of all, about the boxer hanging in my room. Yeah. Uh, that's Cassius Clay, then called Muhammad Ali, and uh, I have this picture of him where he was training for a special fight underwater, and a famous photographer took that picture. And I don't know why, but boxing is something I always admired. It was not something that my father used to watch or go after, but this is something where you have this body contact, not the brutal way that we see it nowadays on TV, more elegant way. And he was for me the most elegant boxer on the field. And when you watch me in the way I dress, I have this kind of... Um, admiration for well-dressed people and that has something to do as well with design so every step I make every move I make every hotel I go to I'm looking for this inspiration when I when it comes to my glasses it's not so much the design that comes first it's the function and then comes to the design which is typical this evolution of Bauhaus form follows function and this is not something I studied. This is not something that my father or my grandfather studied. It's in our genes. Uh, it's something that motivates us and drives us. And I believe if I would study it book by book, I might be turned off by it. It's quite interesting. So it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm grasping, I'm reaching, I'm breathing for it, but not consciously, it's unconsciously. And I'm very lucky that the glasses that do the job, that promote a certain fruit, are also good-looking glasses because most people buy my glasses due to the design language and not so much of the function. And that's what I have to still to change. You know, the architecture of my glass is one thing. Much more important to my family and to the world of real is the function of my glasses. 
Because um, when you see, of, of course, when people buying glasses for the first time, uh, they often see, ah, oh, this is nice glasses. Mm. Uh, it suits too my, often, my kitchen. Too often. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then um, it's it's a typical question you have, and you probably have heard it many times that it's too many glasses. It's, they, they don't. They don't. Which glass should I buy? Yeah. And and if you are new on glasses or new on wine interests, which are the three glasses of styles or whatever? you would like to buy in the beginning? So first of all, I must say something which is very interesting and I'm sure none of the listeners ever thought about it, including yourself. You change your clothes, you change your closet, you change your car, you might even change your spouse, but you never get rid of your own glasses. Old glasses, scratched glasses, something very interesting about glassware in general. People don't throw away glasses and I would say, do it. More often, you should just get rid of your own glasses, old glasses, inherited glasses, and get yourself some new glasses. People don't do it because there's still this value behind it. It's fragile. It's beautiful. There's a memory associated to it. So people should change much more often their glass cabinet. That's what I would suggest. Coming back to which glasses to have at home. First of all, you should start with a glass that serves the everyday beverage, which is water or the juice that you like, good? Because also this can be very appealing. Uh, second, wine glasses or a spirits glass. Most wine glasses allow you to drink spirits. Think about it. The other way around, it doesn't work. There is not a single spirit glass from which you want to drink wine. The glass you should not have at home is a flute. Champagne out of flute is the traditional way and it's great marketing. The flute was introduced market champagne but it never did a great service to the beverage because no matter what flute it is a real flute a traditional flute from a french producer that maybe costs a fortune it will only promote the yeast in this beautiful wine and there is more yeast to be found in champagne than in any other still wine due to the uh, association to the fermentation so Try it. Whenever you put your nose into a flute, you will get bread, toastiness. That is not the fruit that we grow in a vineyard. That is not what makes one champagne better than the other. So what people should have at home is a red wine glass and a white wine glass. Is there a difference between a red wine glass and a white wine glass? Optical, it's always a difference in size. But there's a great difference in performance. Most of the white wines that we drink are acidity-driven, minerality-driven. And I'm not talking about your Chardonnays. Mm. Sadly, Chardonnay is not on the top of the mind of white wine consumers. It is always a wine that has a lot of acidity, being it maybe a Sauvignon Blanc, being it a Grüner Wettliner, being it a Riesling. These glasses tend to be based on a composition of fruit and yeast. Very rarely these wines see oak, which would describe a bigger glass. The most consumed, the most produced grape variety in the world is Cabernet Sauvignon. Maybe that's the red wine glass you should start your collection with. That's maybe the advice I could give. My personal advice would be consider the grape variety you enjoy the most, that your heart beats the fastest for, Start with that glass. Mm. If it's Pinot Noir, don't think about getting yourself a Cabernet glass. Buy yourself a Pinot Noir glass and learn the beauty about this glass because the Pinot Noir glass, which is a thin skin, and we divide nowadays our red wine glasses in the thickness of a skin. So there are three red wine glasses I would speak for, which is the Pinot Noir glass you could also use for Pinot Noir, Nebbiolo, and also Champagne. The medium thickness is our Syrah glass and the thick skin is our Cabernet Sauvignon glass. Maybe that's a new approach for some of the people yeah. out there, also the sommeliers, to consider which glasses should I use in my restaurants. Yeah. Go by the thickness of the skin. Of the grape. Of the grape. Yeah, okay. That's a clever idea to do because uh, this is one of my most normal question I, I we don't know which glass we're going to use what is correct and they have great wines but they are they are thinking of doing false because glasses can also misbehave of a wine it could do a wine um, not tasting so good uh, could do damage happening. to the wine yeah. not to the physical of the wine mm. but not promote it as the way you want it yeah. i mean the biggest mistake sommeliers make 
is to use for Burgundy one glass. Let's not forget, hello, there are two different fruits growing mainly in Burgundy. We have Pinot Noir, which is red, and we have Chardonnay, which is white. And they have nothing in common except terroir. Yeah. Nothing. So if you put Chardonnay in a Pinot Noir glass, you're completely wasting the energy, this beautiful wine, because you are stripping it down to bare minimum, to nothing. Yeah. No, uh, and um, just be aware, all uh, listeners, that uh, Riedel is uh, very into the to use the correct classes, uh, and and I will um, take a little bit notes um, and um, and also tell a bit um, which kind of glasses would be nice to buy in the first uh, start. Um, but uh, the next question, I will uh, have a little talk about uh, when your father started. There was a lot of. Uh, handwork, you know, so it had 1973 yeah. he started, yeah. 50 years ago, yeah. Yeah, uh, and today uh, um, I've read that the production of uh, is now 2-3% of hand blow in your factory of 60 million, so the, um, could you tell me more about the generations of machines who have been made, because uh, I've been into them, totally into the heart of the machine, and um, Please tell us a little bit how difficult it is to build a glass who produce millions. Millions. Yeah. So first of all, I would like to invite every of our listeners to come to Kufstein, the birthplace of the modern wine glass, including yourself, because over the downtime of two years, I rebuilt a museum, a glass and a glass makers museum where you could see and learn much more about not wine and glass, but glass, I think, which is very important. There's a lot of, there's a huge followership on glass. And when we talk about machine production, we're talking also here, people behind the production. In Kufstein, where it's all handmade, you have true glass makers. Well, in Bavaria, in our machine production, you also have true glass makers, but they don't work with the material glass per se. They work and take care of the machinery. They melt the glass in a big furnace, in a Wanne, as we would say in German, which is a constant production flow. And um, 365 days, uh, in three shifts, we produce glass there. And we're producing glasses in two different styles of production, blown and pressed. And uh, each machine has its team. And all of the machines are made in-house. You cannot go to a market and say, I want to have a glass machine. I turn it on. All I need is energy, which is very rare nowadays and expensive. And most of our machines are driven by gas. Raw materials are mainly sourced local, big plus, like quartz sand. Mm. But potash, which is a key ingredient, comes from where? The Ukraine. So you can imagine lately it has been very difficult to produce glass. And of course, because of the energy cost, the price of production goes up. Uh, the molds being used are also, uh, they're purchased, they're aluminum molds. A set of molds for a new glass can cost somewhere between 50 to 100,000 euros, just the mold costs. These molds need to be serviced. We have a whole service crew in-house. So we have about, per factory, 300 people working with glass. So just because it's machine-made doesn't mean there is no uh, support or interest in, in human labor. But you understand the question that, that when you have a machine produced, it's a little bit, no, it's not good. But yeah. when you see the see the technical structure and what you do to produce that high quality. Because you have mentioned in some podcast uh, in this year that there are really no difference between hand blowed yeah. and, 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 and machine produced yeah. glasses. Could you be, tell me a little bit? Well, I'm a glassmaker myself. Mm. I was brought up in a glass factory and I worked in other glass factories. So I know glass very well. And I can tell you that the biggest disadvantage is labor force. You cannot find people willing anymore to work in a factory, period. Mm. A glass factory is even more challenging than most other factories because it's what we call a heat job. You're constantly exposed to this uh, heat. And um, last week we had a, a young group of uh, wine lovers from Norway at the factory. And after my tasting, they've seen the factory, they were amazed about the skills of a glassmaker. I put them in front of the oven 
They couldn't last seconds because of the heat, which completely draws your energy because oh, it's... And we are talking about 1100 degrees. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm. And you're, you're, there is no shield that protects you. No sunglass, no sun lotion, you know. Mm. Um, this is a challenge. And because of that, my family invested in the best machinery. And this machinery nowadays will produce a glass like our new Riedel Veloce collection, where you, as a non-glass maker, but maybe a passionate person for glass and wine glass, you could not see the difference anymore. That's how far we're taking it. Mm. That's how far we have to take it because sooner or later the machine will have to replace the human due to the fact that nobody wants to work in this environment anymore, mm. which is very sad because it's a not only great paid job, you're surrounded with people who have a passion for this job, uh, very skilled and talented people. You, not everybody can work as a glassmaker because you have to have talent for this very intense uh, labor. But it's, it's too challenging and people don't want to do it anymore. Mm. Your father told me that, uh, that uh, your family have generation of machines. So you have, uh, in my notes, I was written the 19th generation, 20th generation, because you are improving this machine all the time. So you have programs to do it better, or of course you have to do it yes. when you're launching. But for, like like we here in Norway, there have been a very good interest for glasses, latest 10 years, I will say. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but then you also see that um, Connoisseurs is talking about other brands. And one brand who is up in the air often is Salto. Could you b tell me a little bit of difference about just the numbers yeah. uh, about Salto and uh, so 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 Salto where do you is place Salto in this category? so Salto is a brand, hmm. but Salto has no production, so they have no clue about glass and glass making. Uh, Salto claims to be produced in Austria, but they're not. They don't have anybody blowing glass in Austria because the biggest glass producer from Austria is us. So they are sourced glasses. Salto definitely um, is a challenger. The glasses, do they work or not? Optical, they're very appealing. So they're very nice glasses. They're very thin blown glasses. Um, that's all I have to say about mm. them. Yeah. They are very small production. They don't even produce, I believe, uh, less than a million glasses. Uh, I know the sources where they source the glasses from, uh, Hungary, Slovakia, and th those companies produce for many companies mm. similar glasses. Um, they have for sure a great uh, support from those factories, but also there they see the issue that the, uh, the young generation of those glass factories are not willing to produce. So they will have a tough time, mm. I would say, in the next five years because they can't find the sources to produce the glasses for them. But uh, when you're uh, having that lead role in, in the wine, in the, uh, the glass industry, um, I, I know that you don't want a monopoly of glass production. You, you need it because you told me once that when uh, Salto was coming, it's good because they take the blame for the expensive glasses because you don't have the heat. How is your expression that uh, Riedel is, ex is expensive luxury goods? I have not heard this in a long time, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, so you have stopped. This has stopped. And, you know, in the old days, people were very upset with Riedel because the glasses were too thin, too fragile. And nowadays, that's exactly what the people want. So I would say the biggest change in glass trend, for sure also caused by Zalto, is that people don't care anymore about glass breakage. The thinner, the better. The lighter, the better. I always, I would love to put a warning label on my new collections. Watch it very thin. But people, also restaurants, interesting enough, don't mind that part because, because when you consider what costs money to operate a restaurant, glasses comes at the very end, considering the setup of a dining table, the silverware, the plates, the labor force, the food costs nowadays you can't compare to five, ten years ago. Yeah. So everything has gotten so much more expensive and we glass producers bite our tongue when we increase the prices by 3 to 5%, which we have to do to the energy cost. Mm. So it's very interesting the, the times we're going through. And me in my young age, being associated to glass making for the last 25 years, 
I've seen so many trends coming and going and I'm so stunned that the people nowadays want such thin glasses that when you look at them, they might even break. But that's mm. what people want nowadays. Because it, it is a discussion in the wine um, in the wine uh, journalist um, tastings that we have some tastings we attend to and it's always Riedel there, it's Salto there, it's some other glasses they use, uh, but mainly Riedel and Salto. But we also see that uh, in some glasses, um, and I would like to, uh, this is just um, information um, about when do we need to throw away the glasses? Because it could be nice, it's, it's okay, but the wine have been, wine who have been cooked. It have been maybe one, two years old. It have been polished and, and could a glass be ruined by that you have corked wine in a glass standing there and you the glass is adapting to the taste and you can never clean it i've Or, never i've never heard this no. before i've never heard this before uh that's why we're very cautious about the material that we use when we produce our glasses mm. and the composition of the material which is most important that in a dishwasher cycle, how many dishwasher cycles can the glass last before eroding? Glass is a very natural product, mm. good, compared to plastic. Glass erodes over, over, over time, over period. But a glass can be washed and can be proper washed. And I would say that the water you're using, the detergent, the soap that you're using can harm much more the glass and its surface And a bad wine or a corked wine has absolutely no impact. No impact. But if you have a glass and you, you can see, okay, you have it for 10 years because the, the, you can have washing for 10 years. My older glasses is 12 years or something. N nothing wrong with them. But I, I see also that some glasses are, uh, are a little bit um, off. They are easily connected to, to, uh, to bad uh, smell. They are, they are smelling, the glasses. You It's impossible to take away the smell. You can clean them. You yeah, can yeah. Steam I've, them, I've you heard can, about yeah, this. Yeah. I've heard about this. Also, I would say to, for our listeners to not to make it too complicated, please pay attention how and where you store your glasses. Hmm. People buy themselves a new apartment, a new kitchen cabinet. They put the glasses in. They close it. Very rarely do they use the glasses, meaning opening the kitchen cabinet. The kitchen cabinets are most of the time covered the wood with some lacquer and this can be very aggressive this can steam this can create odor in glasses and this can also take the brilliance out of your glasses so this is not a joke please pay attention where you, you store your glasses and wherever you store them rotate your glasses not always take the first easy ones from the front also reach sometimes into the back of your cabinet grab those glasses wash those glasses Because we have learned over so many years of being in business that the people, maybe because they got in their wedding eight glasses, but it's just the two of them. So they always use the same two glasses and the other two glasses can go bad. In particular, also real glasses, maybe pre-1990s where we had lead content in our glasses, lead crystal. Riedel stopped in 2015 producing lead crystal for many various reasons. But there, when you look for a lead crystal glass under the microscope, the surface was looking more like the pores of your skin. And this allowed uh, detergent, aggressive detergent. This allowed steaming kitchen cabinets to attack the surface and the glasses go dull. Mm. They go bad. Mm. So take care of your glasses, mm. rotate them, wash them, use them. But I think nothing can hurt more the surface of your glass than a dishwasher. Yeah. So if the dishwasher is not adjusted, the dishwasher is not, in 15 years, some of the dishwashers, for example, Miele, they can outlast your relationship because they're built in such a way that they can take certain cycles, but you've never asked anybody to look after the dishwasher, to service the dishwasher. And most of the dishwasher companies would recommend once a year, service them. Everything could be off balance, too much detergent, too much salt. This really attacks the surface of your glass and they go dull. And maybe, as you say, they could start smelling. 
Maximilian, we need to uh, drink wine soon, but first we're going to have a commercial about wine cabinets. <laughs> Let's do it. Selvfølgelig, vi må bare takke Temtech igen. Tak for at du gør denne um, podcasten her mulig. Vi står på jakt efter et uh, vinskap, og det burde man næsten altid være. Uh, så check ut Temtech sin prestigeserie, en av toppserierne til uh, Temtech. Bygg de ind, lad de bygge de indskøkne, lad de stå frit for sig selv. Store, små, forskellige zoner, træler, ledbelysning, justér temperatur, lys på egne paneler, um, luftfugtighed. Label view, hvis du har lyst til se flaskene før du åpner selskapet. Sjekk ut uh, prestigeserien til Temptech, og tusen takk igen. ja, hos Power, selv Skunders Power, uh, og takk igen Temptech for at dere gjør podcasten her uh, mulig. And then we are back uh, with Max Miliam Riedel, um, and we're going to taste the wines. And, um, and, but first of all, it's some question that um, um, should be, hi- is quite hidden history about uh, Riedel. You have to read a lot, you know about Riedel a lot, because it's not only glasses. But please tell me about traffic lights and Riedel connection. Well, traffic lights is something that my forefathers in Czech Republic used to produce. The cat's eye on your bicycle, the reflectors on the back of your car. This is something that Riedel produced in big volume already then in machine production. And most of the European lighthouses, light towers, the big lenses were Mm. produced in our factories. Very interesting. And when we talk about modern communication, Walter Riedel, my great-grandfather, invented the glass fiber. So modern communication has somewhat roots within the glass factories of Riedel. So Riedel was not yeah. always associated to wine glasses. Yeah. And just that, uh, just that you mentioned all that small history about that Riedel is not only glasses. It's, it's a huge, long history. Um, I read it sometimes uh, and I think it's fascinating. But now, Finally, after 45 minutes, we're going to taste wine. But in the glass, uh, we have uh, set up um, uh, a cabinet from the Napa. Um, and uh, we have um, picked up the newest version made in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, taken the decanted wine. So please, uh, uh, Maximilian, pour the wine um, uh, to the, your glass. Yeah. Uh, and uh, tell me a little bit about uh, in short times, but get the wine in your mouth. So Get my wine in, in the mouth. So first yeah. of all, this is the new Riedel Veloce collection and on the base you can see next to the Riedel logo it says Cabernet Sauvignon. We did this because most of our customers have maybe a full glass closet at home and they forget which Riedel glass was meant for what grape variety. So this is something new that we did and uh, I'm pouring myself this beautiful... Yeah, just to go around and do it. So. Yeah, this beautiful yeah. Cabernet. Uh, I was able to see the label Handmade Decanter the art of decanting wine. Obviously, the wine that we are having is a Cabernet from Napa Valley. Uh, vintage 2013, for me, still a baby. It's a wine that needs oxygen. We opened it, Swine, I believe, uh, an hour ago. So it had mm. enough time to open up and to breathe. Beautiful color, dark and fruit. The wine, the wine um, um, what is your relationship to with Heinz? Except well, from the, cat- the ketchup effect. Yeah, Heitz, Heitz, uh, Heitz cellar is, I would say, going back to the 60s and 70s. One of the very first, uh, I would call it even a cult wine. One of the very first wine producers in Napa Valley. Uh, very established, producing some of the finest fruit, longevity. They have, uh, mm. it's a small production at the end. I mean, we're having here Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not so many produced, the bottles. Yeah. It's 2013 vintage. Yeah, um, 30,000 bottles produced, so that's a very small but, but volume. What do you think of the of the, the benefits of the glass compared to the, to the, to, to the smell now? Well, uh, this wine is so concentrated, and Napa, for me, produces very concentrated fruit, black fruit. And when you put your nose in there, it's like closing your eyes and diving in an ocean of, of fruit. This is exactly what you have in the glass. Mm-hmm. So the glass, to me, conveys perfectly the fine nuances and it hides this um, concentration of alcohol because I think this is already a wine that has close to 15%, which you don't realize when you put your nose into the glass. And that's what I like about big red wine glasses. Yeah. And when you taste, the wine obviously needs to cover your palate. Slurping it from left to right. 
It's the first sip of wine I have had this morning. Yeah, that's much too late. And when we are recording this, uh, yeah. we're around 11 o'clock. So yes, it's yes. a bit pretty late. Uh, and it gives you energy yeah. right away. Yeah. And it's a wine that you want to drink more. I think that's, yeah. for me, always the most important thing. When you taste the wine, would you like to drink more of it? Yeah. Then you know it's a good wine. And for me, I know this very well. And I, I have had it going back to the 60s and 70s. And it's a wine that can age beautifully. Yeah. 2013, maybe in Europe, not a greatest vintage, a solid vintage. Napa Valley, I believe, to have been a very good vintage. And uh, yeah, it covers your palate. It has this typical fruit on the palate and um, it's long lasting, long aftertaste. And for me, who is sitting in the in the studio together with Maximilian, um, uh, see him hanging drinking wine, and you can also see that in the video in, in our um, website. Um, you can see a big smile, um, you can see uh, the interest for wine. And uh, so long I've learned you, to know you, Maximilian, it, it have been a pleasure to see your energy, your focus, your dedication. Learn you um, of um, how you can. Um, change the world by doing of luxury go goods of glasses. I'm looking forward to the next generation of, of glasses, how excited it will be, yes. uh, how thin it will be, and uh, I'm sure that we're going to meet again. And you have said yourself, we're going to have a blind tasting, maybe next year, but in your, um, maybe we come to, to Kufstein. That would be very nice. Uh, You're always welcome. Anybody who's listening, please visit us in Kufstein. It's very easy to get to. You fly to Munich. It's about an hour drive from there. And um, yeah. if you if you want, we can even organize for the listeners if they come and announce their visit, a tour and a, a wine glass tasting. Yeah. And here you see the real truth of Riedel. It's not only 60 million glasses, it's family. Cheers to that. Fine. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. And I hope that our listeners get the chance to taste this beautiful wine from the proper Riedel glass. Yeah, good, good day. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ukens vintips med Svein er en Finansavisen podcast. Programleder er Svein Lindin, producent er Lars Brenden Skram, og podcast- og videoansvarlig er Marius Mørk Larsen. Ansvarlig redaktør er Trygve Hegnar.